Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Failing Forward podcast. We are here with Dr. John Sautery for part two of an incredible interview. If you joined us for part one, we spoke about a lot of things that were really specifically honing in on gut health. We talked about the omega-3 versus the omega-6s. We talked about cell autophagy. We talked about postpartum depression and how increasing omegas can help with some of the mental health disorders that are out there these days. We talked about how vegetable and seed oils are something that you want to completely eliminate from your life and just getting rid of those two things that go rancid very quickly will increase your, your longevity and improve your life's vitality. Today, we're going to dive really, really deep into a couple other concepts that Dr. John is highly, highly, highly known around the world for. And he goes and he speaks globally on anti-aging, biohacking, skincare. Um, and lately, him and I have been really talking about the importance of sleep and helping you achieve your overall best optimal health. So today we're going to deep dive on sleeping tips, talking about some of these wearables that are on the market and what our thoughts are on them and the ones that we like the best and why. We're going to talk about common disorders that should not be very common, specifically autoimmune disorders, PCOS, Hashimoto's, cholesterol, high blood pressure. We're going to really deep dive on why that's so common today and why it shouldn't be common and how we can help you improve your health if you're dealing with some of these things. We're going to deep dive into hormones, talk about IVs and supplements, and then really get into one thing that I love so much about Dr. John is his uh, his nerdiness, his dorkiness, shall we say, in biohacking <laughs> himself and every single year doing his blood work, doing his lab work, and then graphing it year by year, quarter by quarter, and learning about himself from the inside out. So Dr. John, welcome back to the Failing Board podcast, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, and it's great to be here with you. Uh, I love your energy. I love uh, your passion, and I'm psyched for today. We're going to have fun. It's going to be so much fun, and I can't wait. So let's dive right in. One thing that we talked about in the last episode was sugar, and we kind of touched on sugar yes. and why we really yeah. want to mitigate, eliminate, reduce sugar intake. Can you talk a little bit more about sugar and corn and why these are two evils that if we wanted to help improve the audience's life, let's try to get rid of these two things? Yeah. So, um, carbohydrate, let's start out. Everyone knows that sugar is bad, but a lot of people don't seem to realize that when you eat pasta or you eat rice or you eat other carbohydrates, they're just trillions and trillions of glucose is all connected together. And when you chew it up in your mouth, you have a, you have an enzyme called amylase and it's a pair of scissors and it just snips those carbohydrate chains up into glucose. So, all your cells can burn glucose, so that's okay. The problem comes in when you exceed your ability to get rid of it, and then it causes all kinds of problems. Um, so what I think people don't realize is that when you eat too much sugar or too much carbohydrate, the first thing the cell tries to do is burn it, okay? then. If it can't burn it, then it says, okay, let's hook it, hook that glucose back together and store it as glycogen in our liver or in our muscles. But it can only store a little bit in your liver and your muscles. And all the rest of that glucose gets converted to saturated fat. And fructose, you know, fruit sugar or, you know, what makes up 55% of high fructose corn syrup, that's even worse because only your liver can metabolize it. So your liver takes the brunt of the fructose and you end up 
increasing your risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, you know, NAFLD, which is just rampant now in the US. And when you metabolize fructose, and I won't give you a headache, it will tend to raise your blood pressure because your blood uric acid levels will go up. And it also increases your risk of gout. It's funny, I was, I was driving up at five in the morning to the North Carolina mountains with a bunch of guys and we were all going backpacking with a, with a group of 20 guys. And we were just talking off the cuff. I just mentioned something about, you know, fructose and gout. And the guy that was driving goes, John, oh, guess, hey, wait, hit the rewind button for a second. What did you say? And he had suffered from gout for the last, you know, seven or eight years. And he drank a lot of soda. And then it just clicked for him. And he goes, you know, a year ago, I gave up soda for six months. And he goes, I did not have a single gout attack, you know, you know in that whole window. And then I go, I got stressed. I got busy again. I got back into my normal, he worked with restaurants and they were always handing him big things of soda as he was sitting there talking to them as he went restaurant to restaurant. And so it really, gra it really grabbed him. So um, a little bit of glucose is not a problem. I like to see people do about 30% of their diet as carbohydrate. Once you get rid of your ability, once you exceed your ability to get rid of it, it kills you because not only does it raise your insulin, which tends to make you fatter and it tends to age you faster, but glucose can react with your proteins. And I know you know this and you make advanced glycation end products, which just happens to spell out A-G-E-S because it ages you. It ages your retina. It ages the lens of your eyes. It ages your blood vessels. It ages all your organs. So all the longevity studies show, that if you have higher levels of AGES, you're gonna look older, you're gonna die younger, and you're gonna have less vitality. So I don't think glucose and carbohydrates are evil. It's just that when you get too much, they spill into these other pathways and they really kill your metabolism. So if I was gonna tell somebody one thing to do, looking at just your average American, you know, your average American is getting 60% of their calories from carbohydrate. If they took out 20%, so they brought that down to 40 and they replaced it with olive oil and avocados and high fat food, healthy fats, they could really transform their health because their insulin levels will start dropping. They're not going to be manufacturing saturated fat in their cells. They're not going to have you know, the insulin driving fat into storage. So that was a long answer. And I want to turn it back to you. You can ask some drill down questions and tell me if I, if I spoke any Greek, you know, tell me and I'll try to translate it. So no Greek, all English. So perfect. And a beautiful recap from our first episode where we really talked about the ages and you dove really deep into that in beautiful layman's terms. It's crazy. As you were talking about that, I actually had a huge epiphany moment there. And I wrote this down. I'm like, call your friend, tell him whatever. I have a very close friend of, of ours and um, he suffers from gout and he mm -hmm. has 
really reduce his red meat intake. And he doesn't really drink yes. alcohol anymore because he thought that those are the things that were causing his gout. Yes. But one thing I know about him, and I didn't equate the two. He eats a bowl of fruit loops every single day. And I'm talking yeah. like a salad bowl of fruit loops. Ooh. And I wasn't even thinking, oh my gosh, the fructose, the high fructose corn syrup that's in that fruit loops that he's eating every single day, coupled with the every once in a while soda that I see him drink is probably yeah. really what's causing him the gout. It's not really the yeah. alcohol. So I just need to get on the phone with him and say, dude, I love you. Stop eating the fruit loops. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were going to tell me you ate a bowl of fruit, which could be enough to put him over. For most people, they can handle about 25 grams of fructose. And up to that point, your body uses it to make glycogen in the liver. It's when you go over that point that it, it goes in through all these really negative pathways. So yeah, you can definitely help him out. And that could be a game changer for him. Because um, yeah. gout is, you know, for people that don't know what gout is, gout is uric acid in your blood. And then if it gets too high, you get a little dehydrated or the levels get too high, it precipitates out as crystals. So you make rock candy, sharp little needle-like crystals in, in your big toe joint, in your fingers, in your knuckles. And it is agonizing. Think of millions of little needles inside your joints. And it's totally agonizing. I have a story about my dad in the hospital um, dealing with a different condition that was related to gout. And I was actually able to diagnose it over the phone. And, and it was a you know, game changer, but, um, yeah, your friend should be very happy and this could be a game changer for him. That's awesome. I can't wait to text him right after this interview is done. So let's dive a little bit deeper into corn. Cause a lot of people, especially, you know, I lived in Southern California now we're in Arizona. Mexican food is very popular in these places. So taco Tuesday is huge. And oftentimes it's with corn tortillas and corn taco shells and extra corn yeah. on the top for the seasoning and all of that. And I didn't realize until I did my food sensitivity test that included the zoomers as well, how allergic really I am to corn. Sure. And it was like, sure. it was more than just a sensitivity. It was a severe intolerance on a scale of zero to six. I was a 6.0 plus on the zoomer wow. scale with corn. And since yeah. cutting the corn out, my skin's cleared up. My bloating's gone down. My gut wrenching pain is gone. I'm able sure. to turn two to three bowels a day versus before it was like one every three to four days. So can you wow. dive into corn and educate us on why this is such a culprit? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are sensitive to some of the proteins in corn. Secondly, I think a lot of the corn in this country, the majority of it is grown is GMO where they changed it. So Roundup doesn't kill it. So you can spray Roundup on the crops, the glyphosate and kill the weeds without killing the corn. But um, I'm not a big fan of corn. Uh, if we do eat corn chips, because occasionally we do with the kids, I'll try to buy the organic ones. At least it's not GMO. I'm probably gonna get less Roundup and I'm not gonna get the GMO corn. Um, I, I think the, the, um, the jury's still out on GMO. Um, I mean, navel oranges are kind of genetically modified and I like the fact that they don't have any seeds. So I don't like to use a broad brush, but I think glyphosate is a bad idea, a really bad idea. And I also hate the fact that they even spray it on crops that are not GMO like oats because they call it a desiccant but what it really is is it kills all the oats so they turn brown and dry up quicker so they call it a desiccant but it's not a desiccant it really it kills them quickly 
so they get a better yield. So I don't know if you saw, but a few years back, Cheerios led the league in terms of glyphosate contamination or was one of the high levels because oats, which aren't even GMO, you know, had all that glyphosate. So um, I guess for a lot of people, if they have gut issues, corn, people know a lot of times that dairy can be a culprit and a lot of people will remove dairy. Very few people realize that corn can be the culprit and they don't and they don't tend to look at that. But I think it is it may not be one of the top two, but it's probably in the top three or four for sure. And I'm a little sensitive to corn, too. I don't feel great after I eat corn. So I tend to minimize it. So. But it's so delicious. A good corn on the cob on the grill yeah. with some extra butter. It's so good. I and heard I somewhere yeah. Yeah. and maybe you can validate if this is correct or if it was not correct information, but we as humans, our digestive tract, there's an enzyme that we don't have that is necessary for breaking down corn that cows and other livestock do have. Is that true or not true? Um, I, I haven't read that science. And so I, I can't answer the question directly. Um, but with the thing with cows is that they normally when they eat anything, whether it's grass or so on, they have bacteria in their first stomach, which ferments things first. And so the bacteria take the brunt of any toxins that are present in the food. And then later on in a second or third stomach, now the cow is not dealing with all those things because the bacteria have the ability to break down certain proteins or detoxify certain things. Um, and so I'm, I'm guessing that's what they're referring to is that many animals ferment with bacteria, the food before they try to digest it. And that really protects their digestive tract. Um, and it gives them the sense. ability to run on things that we couldn't run on very well. They have a more, um, they have a longer digestive tract and they have a more capable digestive tract than we do. So. And they have a much larger stomach. If you look at the human stomach, I mean, take your hand right now and make a fist your fist is about the size of what your stomach should be. But especially here in America, we overeat. So we stretch and we stretch and we stretch out that stomach, yeah. right? Yeah. However, if yeah. you look at the stomach of a gorilla or you look at the stomach of which gorillas, what do they eat? They're eating a ton of plants, right? And then you look at yeah. the stomach of yeah. a cow, it's considerably larger than a human stomach. So it yeah. has the ability to break down a lot of these anti-nutrients, plant toxins yes. and other yes. things better than our human stomachs can. So it's just looking at the biology of our digestive tracts. Yeah. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. We have the big brains and the small stomachs and the less capable digestive tracts. And I guess in that trade-off, I'll take the big brain and deal with the digestion, but <laughs> totally a hundred percent. But at the same time, we have to recognize that and we don't want to beat up our digestive tract because it's not the strong point in our anatomy. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So with that being said, let's kind of talk about some of these. I'm putting this in quotation marks. If you guys aren't watching this on YouTube, I have my fingers up and I'm quoting it. Common disorders like autoimmune disease, common disorders like PCOS, Hashimoto's, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Dr. John, why are these common disorders now? They weren't common 150 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I guess let's take them one at a time. So, um, you know, if you, uh, which, which one do you want to start with? I'll let you pick the one that you want to 
um, because of a good friend of mine and she's been dealing with this for a long time. Let's talk. Let's start with PCOS. Okay. So um, I think now they realize that a significant fraction of PCOS, polycystic ovarian uh, syndrome or whatever, it strikes a lot of young women and they end up with an interesting blood test profile where oftentimes they have high levels of testosterone. Um, and if you look closely, if they measure it, they also have high levels of fasting insulin. And I think a lot of it is really um, being driven by their very high insulin levels. I, I'm not an expert in PCOS, but I know people who where it's impacted family members. And so I, I've dug into it a little bit and I feel like they've made a lot of progress in the last, say, three or four years understanding it. And I think it's, it's really a challenge if you have a young woman who is 14, 15, 16, 17, and suddenly her testosterone levels are high. It seems like no matter what she eats, she is, you know, gaining weight. She's dealing with this syndrome and it's really, really um, mentally tough on them, especially, you know, at that point, you remember how, how you felt when you were that age. You're trying to establish your own identity and it really uh, it really hurts them. Um, I uh, I'm trying to think I, I saw an interview. Dr. Mark Hyman, who I really like, um, interviewed a woman and I can't think of her name, but she was one of the experts in PCOS maybe about eight months ago. And I thought it was a great interview. So if you look up Dr. Mark Hyman in PCOS, that would be a good follow up to do a deep dive if anyone is dealing with that. Um, but what really struck me was high testosterone. So you get some of the effects of that, which might mean you end up with a little bit more facial hair um, and so on. But you also have that high insulin, which is driving a, when your insulin levels go high, everyone knows insulin, you know, drives glucose into the cells. But, but I swear 95% of people don't realize insulin controls your fat metabolism. You're constantly storing fat in fat cells and you're constantly releasing fat from fat cells. And as your insulin goes up, you shift that con you know, totally towards storage. So um, every time I have a meal, I eat as much as I want. I never sit back and say, oh, I got to push myself away from the table, whatever. But I've, I don't have ever have any weight issue. And part of it is I keep my blood fasting insulin right around three. The normal range is like two and a half to 25. And even though they'll tell you that you're normal if you're at 24, that you're in a disastrous situation because you're going to make it impossible to burn fat. I like to see people keep that fasting insulin below five. And what's crazy is it's not an expensive test. It's probably you know, somewhere in the 30 to $50 range, but doctors rarely order it. So you're going to have to ask your doctor to check that box, or you're going to have to order it. You know, like I do, I just order it on my own because I, I need to know what my markers are so I can make the right food decisions or right supplement decisions. Um, so I think, uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to, I'm not an expert in PCOS, but I think insulin is the wild card. And I think in the last three, three years or so, 
that really have started to realize that. But if a woman um, does blood work, if they don't measure her testosterone levels and they don't measure her fasting insulin, you know, it's going to be very hard to diagnose it as PCOS, at least, you know, from my take. That makes perfect sense. So I love that we're now going into the biohacking world of Dr. John. So one of the tests that he does, he just gave it to you is a fasting insulin test and normal markers are going to be between two and 25. If you have, let's just say your normal doctor, right? Runs the test and it comes back and you're within the normal range. You're at a 23, 24 doctor's going to say, John, you're good. You're at a 23, 24. The range is two to 25. Well, Dr. John's telling you an expert in biohacking, biohacking, anti-aging longevity. I mean, go look at his picture. 61 looks like he's 35 turning 62 in in a matter of weeks. He's telling you get to that five and below range, 23, 24, although it's normal range, normal by what standard? Yeah. Well, you know, we should talk for just 30 seconds about that. People think when their blood test results come back, if you're in the normal range, you're good. The normal range is determined by the last 5,000 people that got the test. And then they just do a Gaussian distribution and they say, okay, are you in the bottom two and a half percent or the top two and a half percent, okay, now you're out of limits. Um, Interesting. It's I, like a standard bell it's, curve. It's, and, the, and the more unhealthy people that were in that last 5,000, the more the test gets skewed. Um, if in your blood work, you'll see a couple of uh, three-letter symbols, ALT and AST, those are liver enzymes. If you measured that 20 years ago, then the range, the normal range would have looked like this. You know, it would have gone from zero to 27. Now the normal range goes from zero to 38 or 39 or whatever it is, because so many more people are unhealthy that have poor liver function where their liver cells are breaking open and releasing these enzymes. You know, their liver cells are dying, but now you can be normal, even though 20 years ago, they would have said, you have a problem with your liver enzymes. So I don't care about whether it's out of limits as, I mean, obviously if it's out of limits, there's a problem. Right. But I, t- I picture it, um, you're driving on the road to Pikes Peak. I don't want to be, and there's no guardrail. I don't want to be in the dirt off the pavement six inches from where I'm going to go off the cliff and tumble down and roll my car until it looks like a pancake. And I'm, I'm, you know, they have to get the jaws of life to, you know, recover what's left of me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live there. Um, at the same time, I don't want to be on the other side of the road where I hit a tree. So you have to know where do you want to be within the normal range? Do you want to be in the lower part of it? Do you want to be in the mid part? Or do you want to be in the high part? And for things like, you know, like that, or things like HbA1c, there are certain places where you really want to be and other places you don't because those other roads are leading you to an iceberg that's going to screw you in, you know, one year, three years, five years, 10 years. I mean, it takes people 10 or 15 years to become type 2 diabetic. I'd like to know that 10 years before, and I'd like to make a two degree course change that I can maintain the rest of my life because I don't want to hit that iceberg. I don't want to be taking metformin, injecting insulin 
putting on the weight, aging faster, you know, feeling miserable, feeling swelled up because as insulin goes up, it tells your kidneys, hold on to all that sodium. Doesn't matter how much salt you eat. If your kidneys hold on to all that sodium, you're going to bloat up. And so that's another thing where insulin really screws you over. And if you look at pictures of me from 30 years ago, when I ate a high carbohydrate diet, I never got fat. But if you look at the pictures of me, they look like this. Just puffy in the face. My, I was puffy everywhere. I, I'll see if I can get a picture for you because it's like, nah. I mean, You're like the Michelin wanna, man. The Michelin man yeah, still my, looks fit, but, he, but my, he's like super pudgy. Yeah, yeah. But my face was all puffy and it was just, and no one ever said, oh, John, you got to lose some weight. It wasn't until I brought my carbohydrate down and I got rid of all that extra sodium and I dumped that extra water, then I feel like my features look more you know, more normal or look better. But I look back at those pictures and I'm just, it's like the three stooges. I'm like, nah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because when I was in a, in high school, I was eating a very low fat diet, which when you have low fat, you have higher carbs. And like you, I was still skinny, but I was skinny fat. Like you looked at my face and I was rounder. I was more plump. And it's funny because now today I have family members that are like, Nika, you look so much better and healthier back then. And I'm like, really? I was always bloated and always in pain. And now I'm just, I'm, I am leaner, but I'm leaner because I've lowered the carbohydrates. I've lowered the sugar. I've lowered the things that were causing me to be chronically bloated. So the test that you said is 30 to $50. You're, you're looking for a fasting insulin test. You have to request it of your doctor. Cause oftentimes I don't check that box. Um, and it's one that you can get yourself. Do you do that every year? Is that every three to five years? How often do you do that? Um, normally between 12 and 18 months. Okay. If I'm feeling really good, if I'm feeling great, I might push it back to 18 months. And if there's something going on, I'll probably do it at the 12-month window. Ideally, for most people, they should measure once a year. And I like doing my testing in, you know, in the spring because I'm going to measure vitamin D too. And normally in, in the Northern Hemisphere, vitamin D is going to be at its lowest point, let's say in April or whatever. And that's also one of the reasons why the pandemic, all respiratory infections go, go down starting in April and they go down, 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 down as your vitamin D goes up, 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 up. And then you get to, you know, early September and people are back at school and they're not getting the sun exposure and the vitamin D goes down, 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 down. And then you, you know, you have these, you have flu season, you have all these pandemics. What's really interesting is it's exactly reversed in Australia because they're in the Southern Hemisphere. So their flu season is, you know, July, August, September, and ours is, you know, January, February, March. That's when, you know, it's, it's like, oh, it's flu season. You know, good, good for the folks that are selling NyQuil and all the right. flu products because that to them, a good flu season is when people buy a lot of product. Um, so I wish, and I, I want to just get this out there. If we could get every single person in the world to get their vitamin D levels above 32 nanograms per milliliter, and that would be 32, 64, that would be 80 nanomoles per liter if you're in Europe or if you're in, um, uh, you're in Japan or whatever. So 32 nanograms per milliliter is the minimum in the, you know, if you're in the US or Canada, and if you're someplace else, they're gonna measure it in nanomoles per liter, it would be 80. If you do that, 
you can massively reduce your risk of catching COVID, testing positive, and you can dramatic, if you do happen to contract it, you can shift from having a severe or critical case and you can shift the odds massively like seven or tenfold to having a mild case. That one thing. And, um, you know, Dr. Fauci, he knows it. He's read the same studies that I've read and he takes vitamin D and he did an interview with Jennifer Garner on Instagram in the fall last year and she got it out of him. Yeah. And he talked about it. And I felt like saying, you got to get this on the news. You got to tell everyone this. But it, why would they? Because that would hurt pharma. That would hurt the vaccine, yeah. right? Like there's this whole, I mean, th- this is probably an episode for another day. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get us We're trying to make track, money on a lot yeah. of other things. And if you tell someone to go get a $35 bottle of really high quality vitamin D capsules, and you can take that, that's going to improve your immunity. And it's going to help you decrease your risk of catching the common cold and the flu. That's hurting a big organization out there. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, I, I, I don't know what motivates them. And I think a lot of serious scientists are afraid to make recommendations. I'm lucky because if I was a professor now at Duke, or if I was a professor at another university, I'd have to be very careful with what I said, because anything that I say could come back and cause controversy and cause problems. I'm like, hey, screw it. I've read the science. If you want to debate me, I'll show you the science. You need to be above this level. And the normal range is 30 to 100. I'm not talking about going up to 90 or 100. I'm talking about being at 32 or higher. I keep myself between 40 and 50 because I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to get the flu. I don't want to get colds. And vitamin D turns up your innate immunity. You're going to make two peptides, catholicidin and defensin. And these things attack everything. They attach to the cell membranes, they're cationic, and they rip it open and they spill the guts. And that you need to turn up your innate immunity. And the other thing is, if you get sick, some people's immune systems go completely nuts and they end up with something called ARDS. Mm. Vitamin D tamps down that over-the-top immune response. So you don't have your IL-6 levels go right through the roof and you don't end up on a respirator. So it brings up your innate immunity and it turns down the -the over-the-top cytokine storm. Um, Almost everyone that gets ARDS has low vitamin D. And I saw that four weeks into the pandemic and I was teaching people in my tribe this look at the data on ARDS and that's the thing that kills you. It's partly because their vitamin D levels are so low. And uh, so, sorry, I, I wasn't part of our, you know, what we we're going to talk about, but people are going to stop paying attention to COVID because it's calming down. And I get that, but let's lock and load and get everyone's vitamin D levels fixed. So when we get to September and October, we're not back in this mess again. I completely agree. And it's funny because on our list of things we want to discuss today, we were going to talk about IV drips and supplementation. And one of the supplements I wrote down that I actually have sitting right here next to me to show you was vitamin D. This is something that I started to take when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and it helped me with my mood. So here in Arizona, I live in Scottsdale where it's sunny pretty much year round, except for like 
two weeks in August during our monsoon season. But yeah. even here, I take about two to 3,000 IUs of yeah. good quality vitamin D every single day. If you're living in like Seattle or in Ohio where you don't have as much sunlight, you want to be taking 5,000 plus IUs yeah. a day every single day. And even if you have a baby, your babies can get it. They have these little, um, I forget the, the name of it, but it's a little jar and it says on there, baby vitamin D. And you just put one yeah. drop into the breast milk yeah. or the formula milk, whatever you're giving your baby, one to two mm -hmm. drops. You really can't do a vitamin D overdose. So if you actually put in three drops. Yeah, don't, don't you're not going to overdose. If you put it in three drops, it's not going to be a problem. You right. have to take a high dose for a long, long, a long period of time. But I don't want to see people go out and take 10,000 IUs. Yeah. for the next six months and not get tested. Um, so you, you can go too high on vitamin D. And the other thing I'd say with vitamin D is vitamin D, once it's activated, will bring up your blood calcium, good thing. But you don't want that calcium to end up in your arteries. So you want a little bit of vitamin K2, not K1, but vitamin K2, because K2 turns on your calcium protection system. It's called MGP, uh, and to be a nerd, it's matrix GLA protein, of course. Um, but <laughs> we love that. Without about that, the calcium can end up in your arteries and it can increase your risk of heart disease. So if people take D, I like them to take a little bit of K2. A fraction of a milligram is more than enough because you just don't, in the US diet, we don't eat natto and we don't eat goose liver pate. So we don't get a lot of K2 in our diet. And it really makes sense for a lot of people to look into this and possibly supplement with it. There are some foods that have low amounts, but it's, you know, a lot of people don't get enough. So let's talk about that. Cause this is a vitamin that I'm not familiar with. And I know when we spoke before, you told me that it turned on osteo bone building, all of that. And I, I do not like, yes. I don't like goose liver pate, so I'm not going that direction. So what is a good brand yeah. that you recommend in a dosage for someone like me that does take about 3000 IUs of vitamin D a day? So I would think, um, and I normally don't make specific brand supplement recommendations because as you can imagine being on clubhouse, I have supplement companies that are all over me and everybody wants me to tout their stuff. And I'm like, you guys, I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the kickback. I just want to help people. Um, I'll, I'll PM you the stuff that I take. You probably need to take it twice a week. I take it about every three days. So that's not, I mean, I guess that's um, slightly more than twice a week. It's just easier for me to remember um, yeah. that way. Um, with vitamin K2, there's two forms. There's one called MK4 and one called MK7. I would suggest that you find a formula that has both of those because they are transported differently in the body. MK4 is really good for your brain. If you're males, it's good for your reproductive organs. Um, MK7 is really good for your liver and for your bones. So they, they each nurture different tissues, but you only need a fraction of a milligram. I, there's a, a study, um, uh, called the Rotterdam study that was done. And they looked at people and they looked at K2 consumption and K1 consumption. And then they said, are these people gonna die in the next 10 years from heart disease? The people that got 41 one hundredths of a milligram, so 0.041 milligrams were in the high group for K2. They had a 50 
7% reduced risk of dying from cardiovascular disease over the next 10, 10, 10 years. And I was like, wow. And then when they went back and they checked, they also had 52% less calcification of their arteries. So you need to turn on that calcium protection system. I wrote a book chapter for PBS, that Life 201 special, and I shared three studies on vitamin K2. One on heart disease, which was the Rotterdam study. One on cancer, because it dramatically lowers your risk of several different cancers. And one on osteoporosis. And it impacts all three of those because it's such a critical molecule to your body. So, um, and it's not in any multivitamins yet because the science is too new. People don't know about K2. I have a YouTube video if you go to Dr. John Sautery on YouTube, where you, if you want to watch the whole thing, you can. But um, sorry, I get you. What's the name of that YouTube some, video? I'm going to put that in the show notes for everyone. It's um, it basically it's it's Dr. John Sautery, and it's how to avoid calcifying your arteries, and then it says vitamin K2. Um, some, something like Got that. It. I'll find it and I will add it to the show notes for the audience. Yeah, that, that one's been watched like 1.2 million minutes. It was just me. Wow. I turned on the camera. I talked for 30 minutes. And one of my friends was like, John, you should have a YouTube channel. I go, okay. So I uploaded it to YouTube. I just left it there. And for like three months, it probably had like 30 views. And then people that. started watching it and sharing it and watching it and sharing it. And now it's up to, like I said, I, last time I checked, it was at 1.2 million minutes. I was like, wow, this just blows my mind. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to definitely increase that number right here on the Failing Forward oh, cool. podcast. That, Cause that's going cool. in the show notes as well as if we can find that chapter that you did for a PBS, I would love to include that too, as a link. I, I don't know if I can share it because um, I think after, right now they're giving it to people that donate to public television as part of the, of the reward. And I think then it's going to go on sale on Amazon, the whole Life 201 book. I should have a copy. I can hold it up for you. But uh, um, because there are several other experts that have written chapters in that book. So I was so I was quite honored to be to that on yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll include that link as well in the show notes. So those that are interested cool. on deep diving into this information can, um, because we like getting nerdy with Dr. John Sautery. This is fun. This is why we keep bringing you back to the Failing Forward podcast. We want to find our inner nerd. Who, who, who would have ever thought when I was like 15 that I would like people calling me a nerd when I was, you know, <laughs> six, 61. Like it's actually a good thing now. <laughs> it truly is a compliment because it, it talks about how serious you take your health. It talks about how serious you take this industry. And it talks about how serious you take your work and pouring back to other people complimentary to really help them live their best lives. And we appreciate you for that. So I want to keep extracting more knowledge, more information. Yes. You mentioned HbA1c, high blood pressure. And I have a lot of clients come to me saying, Nikki, my A1c levels are super high. I'm trying to bring them down. Um, yeah. Most of them are anywhere between ages 55 to 70. So we're just trying yeah. to figure out how to improve their heart health. Can we talk about that a little bit in supplements? Yeah, yeah. So nutrition. I told you that when your glucose is high, that glucose will react with different proteins in your body. And that it's not just your blood, it reacts with your retina, it reacts with the blood vessels in, that are feeding your eyes, the blood vessels in your liver, the blood vessels in your heart. And as they get glycated, they become less flexible, they become stiffer, they don't function as well. Um, so the reason why they measure it with a blood test is your body 
recycles red blood cells after three months, they wear out. So if you look at how much glucose is attached to the proteins in your red blood cells, it gives you a three month moving average of your glucose level, your average glucose for those last three months. And that's why it's a much better measure of blood glucose than is um, uh, just a fasting glucose that you get where it's, you know, 95, 98, 99, whatever. Um, so I believe it's more valuable. Now the best is a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. So Dexcom is gonna come out with a Dexcom 7 and I'm gonna get one and just for, I'm gonna wear it for six months and monitor my blood glucose because I wanna see all the different things that I eat, which ones really do spike my glucose. Because even though I have good glucose control, those after meal spikes age you. And I have young kids. I don't wanna be an old man when I'm walking my daughter down the aisle in 15 or 20 years. I wanna be young and vital. And so I wanna minimize glycation of my proteins. That's one of my fundamental anti-aging strategies. Um, so I'd say uh, at some point, all of us are gonna be doing CGM because they're gonna probably figure out a way to bring it into the Apple Watch or you know, there'll be other you know, wearables beyond the, um, you know, beyond the, the Dexcom 6, the Dexcom 7, the, the Freestyle Libre, I think is the other one from Abbott. Um, but it will be not just people that are diabetic, but normal people who wanna live longer and be healthier are gonna start monitoring their blood sugar more carefully. So, uh, I love that. Um, so what are some tips that you have for someone that today has high blood pressure or high cholesterol? What can we be doing today from a nutritional standpoint, from a yeah, supplementation standpoint? That's great. Yeah, so let's start with the blood pressure one. Um, I mean, I gotta make a quick endothelium here, sorry. Um, the What's inside endothelium? Of, the endothelium is the lining of your arteries. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so this is a piece, this is actually a piece of paper. It's really not my endothelium. My, my arteries aren't that big. So, um, but uh, the endothelium is a single layer of cells that line all of your arteries. And they are constantly sensing flow. And when, when they're too small and the flow gets very turbulent, it triggers that endothelial layer to release something called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is you know, that the work on the role of nitric oxide in the body was awarded the 1998 Nobel Prize in Medicine. Three researchers, you know, incredibly important work. And there have been 150,000 studies on nitric oxide. What does it do in really simple terms? The end of your blood vessel realizes that blood can't get through. It's banging into each other. It's a mess. It releases nitric oxide that goes into the muscle that surrounds every one of your arteries. And it says, Hey, relax. And when it relaxes, it opens up that channel until the blood starts flowing smoothly. So your body is adjusting the blood pressure in all your different arteries, all your different capillaries independently all the time. And the messenger model, the messenger molecule is nitric oxide NO. That is a critical molecule for your health. So here's the bad news. As you get older, 
your endothelial layer produces less and less nitric oxide. And that's a problem because if you don't relax those arteries and those veins, your blood pressure is going to go up. So the bad news is if you look at an 80-year-old versus a 20-year-old, you've lost 75% of your ability to make nitric oxide. So that's scary because um, if you're male, nitric oxide, you can't, you know, you can't have an erection, you can't reproduce. Um, it's a, you know, it's a big issue. And in fact, the whole Cialis and uh, Viagra work on that pathway, um, not directly on nitric oxide, but on the next step of the pathway. So, um, but here's the good news. There is a secondary pathway in your body. And I just, I actually, I just presented on this last week to my tribe. I did the whole, you know, everything that I'm doing to really keep healthy nitric oxide levels. Um, but it requires that you have the right bugs in your mouth. And I know that sounds crazy because you eat vegetables like arugula. Arugula it has the highest, is the highest dietary source of nitrates. And the bugs in your mouth change it from NO3 to NO2, which you swallow, and NO2 in your gut is converted to nitric oxide. So you have a backup system to make nitric oxide. So maybe when you were 20, you could get away eating all McDonald's, you know, double cheeseburgers, but now you got to eat some arugula, some beets, you know, some spinach. And I believe that the reason why for a lot of people when they go plant-based their dietary nitrate goes from like 50 milligrams a day to a thousand and i believe that's why they get hooked on eating plant-based because all that nitrate as long as they have the right bugs in their mouth gets converted to nitric oxide and when you have plenty of nitric oxide your brain works better you athletically you perform all the olympians that are doing endurance events they all monitor their nitric oxide levels um, it's a huge thing i mean we don't have time to do it justice we could talk for an hour just on nitric oxide but um, i'm i'm doing four or five strategies because i want to keep my nitric oxide in the youthful level because i want to keep my blood pressure you know, beautiful. I want to, it also keeps your endothelial layer healthy. You know, Nico, when people get a plaque in their artery, the plaque forms between that endothelial layer and the muscle. And then that starts closing off. You know, I don't know, like you, you know, it starts, it starts closing off the artery and the flow and so on. Guess what? Nitric oxide keeps that endothelium healthy. It protects it. It brings down inflammation. It keeps the blood flowing smoothly. It is so critical to your life. But the scary part is the science is all new. It's just in the last 10 years getting, getting into the medical textbooks. So most physicians, unless they read PubMed, are not going to hear that much about nitric oxide. And I'm trying to change that. I have several you know, MDs in my program and I bring the state of the art to them so that they can then share it with their patients, as well as to all people that are not MDs, you know, so.
That's amazing. We gave people enough to get them interested. Google nitric oxide because it is critical. And I think my skin looks better now than it did five years ago. Um, If you have good blood flow, um, blood carries oxygen to the cells. Your mitochondria require oxygen to produce ATP, the energy molecule of life. And if you deliver less oxygen, you make less ATP and you feel tired, worn out. You don't want to get off up, get up off the couch. Um, I know it's goofy, but I tell people um, every you have 40 trillion cells in your body. Everyone has the same favorite song and that it's Dire Straits tune from the from the 80s. And it's they change the words a little bit. It's, you know, I want my. I want my ATP instead of MTV, but you know, um, because without ATP, you're dead. When you see a spy movie and they bite into a cyanide capsule, that immediately shuts down ATP production in all your mitochondria. And guess what? 11 seconds later, you're dead because ATP is life. And so, Nitric oxide opens up the supply lines, brings in more oxygen, and gives you that electricity, that vitality. And that's why you see people taking, you know, super beets and you see people eating green leafy vegetables and doing smoothies. I like to throw a bunch of arugula in the blender and blast it. And then I throw in a cup of main blueberries to make it taste good and to give me the, the antioxidants from the blueberries. And that is just a rockin' smoothie. You know, no protein, no nothing, just just those two things, a couple ice cubes and a little bit of water and it rocks. And uh, but you have to have the right bugs in your mouth, too. And we don't have time to get into that. They have to be able to reduce nitrate to nitrite, NO3 to NO2. So what are the tests that we need to do today to see where our nitric oxide level is? How often should we do that test? And then how do we also test to make sure we have the right bugs so we're not overloading our system with something that we can't break down efficiently? Yeah. Okay. Good, good questions. Um, you can go on Amazon and there are at least two companies, probably more, that will sell nitric oxide test strips that you can use at home. And basically... You get up in the morning, you take a, a dab of saliva and put it on the strip. With one of them, you have to, you know, you have to use your finger. The other one, uh, the other one, you put the tab in your mouth and then fold it in half. You can measure. Now, in reality, they don't measure nitric oxide. They measure the precursor NO2 because nitric oxide only lasts, the half-life is about one second. So after five seconds or six seconds, most of it is gone. You're constantly making it and then it's constantly breaking down. Um, But by measuring NO2, you get a pretty good read on your nitric oxide levels. So they can go and and look at that and see where they're at and then decide, do I need to change my diet? Do I need to fix my oral microbiome? You know what's crazy? And I wasn't even aware of this until I did that presentation. In 2021, this year, a study came out or an article came out and they showed that Hospitalized patients, the ones that they give strong mouthwash to, are significantly more likely to die in the hospital. Because strong mouthwash, like chlorohexidine, the prescription one, or Sepacol, knock out the bacteria in your mouth 
that make the NO2 and therefore they shut down that pathway and then people, you know, pay the price. So it's, you actually can die from it. I mean, it's like, you think you're saying, John, you say mouthwash can increase my risk of dying. And sadly, the answer is, depending on how strong it is, apparently the answer is yes, it, it may increase your risk of dying. So, wow. And how would you compare mouthwash to like, like a sepical to your crust white mouthwash that my husband and I use to our toothpastes? Well, the, the study, I, um, I saw a study, let me try to get it in my head, a uh, study from Duke in 2016, they looked at water, Listerine, Sepacol, and um, chlorohexidine. So kind of from the least, you know, no effect to the maximum effect. And what they showed was the chlorhexidine and the sepacol completely wiped out the person's ability to make, make nitric oxide via pathway number two, just wiped it out. Um, the water and the Listerine did not affect it. So uh, I don't know which Listerine formula they use. I don't know which, what the alcohol level was. You know, there's a lot of different Listerine formulas. Um, I don't know which one they used but they didn't measure the Quest, excuse me, the Crest um, white mouthwash. I'm, I'm thinking that that's based on some hydrogen peroxide. I don't know, I, I haven't seen the formula. So you have to, you have to tell me what's in it sometime Sounds later. good. So my homework uh, assignment is to go and look at Listerine versus Crest white mouthwash and compare the two and then make a decision on if we need to make a switch in my family or not, because I want to keep my oral microbiome working well for me. Are there tests yeah. that we can do where we can go and see if we have the bugs that are necessary for that conversion? So there's a, one approach would be this. You get up in the morning and you test your level, you test for the test strip. Then you make a smoothie with, you know, three ounces of arugula. So a lot of arugula and you drink it. You come back and measure it two hours later. If the number, if the color changes dramatically, that tells me you have the right bugs in your mouth to take NO3 to NO2 and make nitric oxide. If it doesn't change, then that tells me that you don't have the right bugs and therefore you are, uh, you need to work on that. You need to work on your oral microbiome. So, and how do we do that? Um, there are some supplements where they have isolated strains that offer significant benefits. Um, there's a New Zealand company, and I believe everything goes under the name Bliss, B-L-I-S. And they have one called um, K12 and they have another one called M18. And I think K12 helps you avoid getting infections in your mouth and throat. And then the M18, um, seems to um, uh, help prevent cavities because in your mouth, you normally have a bug called strep mutans. And they're the ones that make the acid and which damages your tooth enamel. And they also are the ones that take sugar and build uh, plaque on your teeth. So um, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing their products, but I think they've done a lot of good research. 
I've been playing with the, uh, with the, with the bliss M18. And I find when I wake up in the morning, you know, I, I take one when I, when I go, when I'm going to bed that I don't have any film on my teeth. So it really does a nice job on the plaque. Um, there might be some data that says that that species can convert NO3 to NO2. So um, I, 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 that's why I started with it is because I dug out some things out of the scientific literature that said that that particular species could do it, but I don't know if the M18 does it and I don't know how well it does it. So I'm still in the evaluation stages, but uh, it is pretty cool. And this is now pretty you're, cool. you're thinking, I, love this wow, I thought John was a nerd before we started. Now it's like, he's really, this is like scary stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we're learning a lot. We're learning about anti-aging. We're learning about increasing our life vitality. We're learning about really making sure that we're doing the things that we need to do to improve our, op- our overall health, to achieve sure. optimal health. And I love this so much. I mean, we can keep going, but I want to make sure that we're, we're really delivering a ton of value. And so far we've gone into some of my favorite supplements, vitamin D. If you're doing that, you want to make sure you're getting vitamin K2 to help with the calcium. And then you also want to make sure if you're someone that's experiencing high blood pressure, you know, take a look at the nitric oxide. You can get the nitric oxide strips off Amazon. I will find the link. I'll put it in the show notes for you guys. So you guys can go ahead and get that as well. Again, like Dr. John said, take that. You also avoid fructose. If they're, if they have high blood pressure, they really want to bring their fructose down maybe to 15 grams a day for a few months and see if that impacts it. I'd also make sure their doctor's measuring their blood uric acid levels. And if that is even in the higher part of the range, that tells me they're probably processing too much fructose. Um, I mean, there's a, I would also say that they should be looking at getting ample magnesium in their diet because that will also tend to help lower their blood pressure. And you need magnesium to turn on vitamin D. So vitamin D in the bottle does nothing has to go through two conversions before it's active. Um, you have to make 125 dihydroxy vitamin D and magnesium is required for both steps. And half of Americans, according to N. Haynes, the CDC studies, um, half of Americans do not get enough magnesium every day. So, and I'd say 70% of Americans do not get enough vitamin D. When you put those two things together, you set yourself up for a nice pandemic. Like yeah, the one 100%. we just went through. A hundred percent. And one thing that, yeah. you know, I told you guys, one of my, my supplements I take every single day. And I also give it to all my kids and to Kai ever since he was literally three months old, it's vitamin D. I, I also do the Redmond life relight, which has the magnesium in there. Um, it has 60 milligrams of magnesium as well as the sodium, potassium, chloride, calcium, because I am a little bit more of a ketogenic dieter. So I need to make sure I'm getting that sodium back into my system because I'm losing a lot of those electrolytes based on my nutritional choices. Now, let me interject one thing. Most people are getting about, say, 250 milligrams of magnesium, and they would be a lot healthier if they were getting 450 to 500. So you might want to, most people need to supplement with a couple hundred milligrams of elemental magnesium to get into the right range. So 60 is good, but you, know, you might need to add in some additional magnesium. I like magnesium magnesium glycinate as a pill, um, magnesium citrate also works pretty well. And then I take magnesium chloride because I put it in my drinking water. Um, but it's, you have to store it very carefully because it will turn to goo. It tends to pull water from the air. 
So, oh, interesting. So those are two things I'm going to have to look into because I am not familiar with the magnesium chloride or the magnesium citrate. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Let's get into some more supplements, what we recommend for people. So when we talked about the omegas and I have a specific bottle here that was recommended to me, and I wanted to see what your thoughts are on this. Normally I take my omegas in the form of an oil, right? And I like to do a two to one if I can, um, for the EPA. EPA to DHA. Yeah. Yep. This one is Omega Monopure by Zymogen. It says on here, 1300 ECs, three time greater absorption. I mean, this is something very new for me. It's a gelatin uh, soft gel. And it says on here, total omega, 860 milligrams. That seems pretty low. The EPA, 600 milligrams to 260 of DHA. What are your thoughts on this product? Um, It's hard for me to evaluate it. So here's what I'm looking for in a fish oil supplement. First of all, I want them to get it from clean fish because fish can, temp, fish can bioaccumulate PCBs, lead, cadmium, and so on. So I want to make sure that the fish that it's coming from are clean to begin with. Secondly, I want them to do a molecular distillation to further purify it. The third thing I want them to do is make sure that they add an effective antioxidant so it doesn't become rancid in the bottle. Um, And the fourth thing I want them to do is to test every lot. They're probably going to do something called uh, ICP mass spec um, to look at all the contaminants because I want to make sure that I'm not introducing contaminants along with the fish oil. So I found one that meets all those criteria. Um, Every lot is sent up to the University of Calgary where they test it and they certify that is extremely clean. So I don't, I don't want any contaminants. I don't want it to be oxidized. Um, you should be able to break open a capsule and it should not taste bad. If it tastes rancid or nasty, throw it in the trash. Got it. Um, so fish oil is one of those ones where you have to pick really, really carefully. There are some good ones out there. There's several good ones, but there's a lot of crap too. And taking oh. rancid fish oil is worse than taking nothing at all. So I, that's one of those ones you got to be really careful about. The one that I was always taking was the Omega, I believe it's Omega Complete or Omega Ultra, something by Nordic Naturals. And it was the oil form of that. Um, yes. I love that company. I think it was really, really good. But do you have a brand that you that you love and you give to yourself and your yeah. family? What's your I think uh, I haven't. I think we have used that with the kids. And I believe that that is also a very clean fish oil, although I haven't done a detailed review. The one that I did the detailed review on was the, um, it's a company's called Life Extension in Florida. And it's, I believe it's called Super Omega or Super Omega 3, something like that. And I, I like their QA. I like the testing. I, it comes from Alaskan Pollock. So you're starting with a clean fish. They do the molecular distillation. They add the antioxidants to it and they test it. So fish oil is one of those ones. Really good is incredibly healthy. Really bad is incredibly bad for you. So you really need to do your homework on that one. I'd say. Perfect. I wanted to bring that up again because I know we talked about the omegas a lot in episode one. So if you guys want to deep dive on the knowledge there, go back to the first episode. But I wanted to get your exact recommendation for the best quality one that we should be taking because 
it, it is a lot of research. And for a lot of us where we may not be good researchers, we don't know what we're looking for. So I just wanted to get it from you. What's the rack and, and we're going to go with that life extension, and, super omega three. And, and the other part is um, that EPA, the 20 carbon omega three and DHA, those are the two that you're taking. There was some work that came out of Harvard um, in the last 15, <clears throat> last 15 years where they've actually identified, they're the precursors to make these molecules called resolvins. So resolvins, and they resolve inflammation. And EPA makes resolvin E1, and DHA makes resolvin D1. And those molecules are magic in terms of putting out the fire. So after you come in with the flamethrowers, and you do all the repair or you blast the virus or you blast the bacterium, you know, you defeat the infection, then you want everyone to stop shooting. And that's what these resolvins help do. So these are critical molecules. And in fact, it used to be that the pharmaceutical companies poo-pooed omega-3s. Mm -hmm. Guess what? There are multiple pharmaceuticals that are just highly purified omega-3s. One is pure EPA, and they've done $100 million phase one, phase two, phase three clinicals, and they've shown the benefits for people that have cardiovascular disease. So uh, to me, you know, I've been taking omega-3s for 30 plus years, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's nice after, it only took you guys 27 years to get on board. But now that you, they can charge you you know, a hundred or 200 bucks a month, then yeah, we have the answer for you. It's right here. So, um, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, I'm not knocking it and they're very pure and they have benefits and they have clinically proven benefits. I just, I wasn't going to wait 27 years for them to create it. And then I wasn't going to spend big bucks to take it when I can take it my whole life um, and keep my levels where they need to be. Cause 100%. they, yeah. I love that. So let's get a little bit more. We'll do like a, a quick top supplements that you think the average American needs to take and anyone globally as well to help us improve our vitality or immunity and our cognition. We talked about vitamin D that's going to help a lot. We talked about omegas. That's going to help a lot. We gave a suggestion. We talked about vitamin K2. We talked yeah. about magnesium, getting at least 200 yeah. milligrams of magnesium and three different options there. What else do you recommend? Um, most people could benefit by taking a B complex probably twice a week. I don't think you need to take it every single day. So I take one on Monday. I take one on Friday, um, because your body can store the B vitamins for a couple of days, but the bad bugs in your gut, they can't. So they also thrive on B vitamins. And so if you had any gut issues, I hate to see people taking B vitamins every day because they might be feeding the bad bugs in their gut as well. They're yeah. living cells. They, they also require a lot of the B vitamins that you require. So um, I think a B complex, um, if someone is a vegan or someone is a vegetarian, then they really need to take some B12 because you can't really get B12 from vegetarian sources. And there are some bugs that'll make it in your gut, 
But guess what? They're not really making it for you. They're making it for themselves. And um, I think relying on that is a big, is very dangerous. So many people that go vegan, two, three, four years later, their B12 levels get low enough where it really causes them some problems. And so I would say, you know, taking some B12 if, uh, if you're vegetarian and vegan. Also, if you're vegetarian or vegan, taking a little bit of zinc is helpful because eating plant-based is very helpful, very healthy, but it has something called phytic acid. And phytic acid is a magnet for zinc and copper. It latches onto it and it sweeps it out of your body so it's never absorbed. So my friends that are vegan, I say, take a 15 milligram capsule of zinc, but take it two hours before you eat or three hours after you eat. Because if you take it with your meal and you're eating a ton of stuff that has phytates, you're not going to absorb it. Um, so that's, uh, you know, they've done stuff. You know, I would say of the people in the U.S. that are zinc deficient, 80 to 90% of them are vegetarian or vegan. And it's because they're eating something that's healthy, but it has this unintended side effect of locking up these minerals that they need. And so you have to be smart about it. So, you know, I, uh, I also think that my friends that are vegan, I try to encourage them to get the long chain omegas. Big mistake that people make, they think, I'm going to get plant-derived omega-3s. I'm going to get them from flaxseed. I'm going to get them from hemp. Those are only 18 carbon. And the body has to chain lengthen them to 20 to make EPA and 22 to make DHA. Yep. If you take 2,000 milligrams of uh, omega-3 that comes from flaxseed, you make- Like 100. 100 milligrams. It's like a DHA. 5% conversion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and people don't realize that. It's not, they're not, they are all omega-3s, but they haven't turned them into the ones that the body really wants the EPA, the acosopentanoic acid, and the DHA, the docosohexanoic acid, you know, those are crucial molecules. And yes. Just... And for our, our vegan vegetarian friends, if you can't take the fish oil, what we're saying is the chia seeds, the flax seeds are not going to get you enough converted omega-3 that you need. So you want to be getting the omega-3s through like a blue green algae. That's going to be that long chain omega-3 that Dr. John's talking about. Yeah. The other thing that's important is we were talking about zinc deficiency. Zinc is needed for improving our immunity. So Absolutely. If you deficiency, yeah. Yeah. you're going to be affecting your immune system. So, so increase the zinc, you're going to increase your immunity as well. And that'll be your body's natural way of fighting infections so that you don't have to necessarily get in vaccinated. In fact, when COVID, <laughs> when, when, when SARS-CoV-2 gets in the cell and takes over your cell machinery and tries to build more, it uses a little copy machine called replicase. And that's how it makes copies of its genetic material. Zinc jams up the copy machine, blocks it. So you need to have zinc and you also need some quercetin with a Q, quercetin, because quercetin gets the zinc from the outside of the cell into the cell. Zinc plus two cannot go through the membrane, but when you wrap it up with a quercetin, quercetin shuttles it into the cell. So um, I, I am also a big fan of quercetin, which you get in 
onions and apples, but I supplement with some quercetin as well because I really, um, I want to put on my body armor every day, whether it's flu, a common cold, you know, SARS-CoV-2, I don't care. I want my immune system to be kicking ass. I want my cells to be able to defend themselves. Um, I don't want to, you know, so, and, and, you know, we're going to get back to traveling. We're going to get back even when we kill off, you know, COVID-19, there are always going to be pathogens out there. You want your innate immunity to be like, pow, you don't, you don't want to, you know, and, and I also also say, get a ton of sleep. Because yes. when you go from seven hours of sleep to less than five, you triple your risk of getting any respiratory infection. It, your risk goes through the roof. We all know it. How many times have I, you know, flown, I, my flights are late, I get into LA late, I get in at, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, I sleep badly, I only sleep for four or five hours, I get up, I have an event the next day, um, I'm running on adrenaline, guess what, two days later, oh my God, I'm getting sick. Uh -huh. Because when you hammer it, when you, when you don't get enough sleep, your immune function, your, you know, your um, special forces guys, they're not out hunting. They're tired because you're tired. So, so let's uh, segue right into sleep. Yes. The importance of sleep, giving some sleep tips. And then let's talk about the sleep wearables. Like a lot of people think I have an Apple watch. It's a good wearable, or I'm using my Apple phone next to my my yeah. bed with the screen face up and I'm using this app, but then there's way better ways of tracking your sleep, such as the whoop, which I'm wearing here. So if you're watching sure. on YouTube, you'll see the whoop band or an aura ring, which I just got mine yesterday. Let's dive into. Yes. So I wear, this is interesting. This will tell you about Dr. John versus me. He wears his aura ring on his pinky finger. So that's his yeah. style. I wear mine. I got, on the my Joe, I got the Joe Pesci model. I don't know if you said <laughs> I love, fellas. <laughs> I love it. So a book that I'm reading right now, Dr. John is the circadian code. It's one of my favorite awesome. books that talks about sleep. So let's dive into sleep, the importance of it. And let's give the audience some tips on how they could improve their sleep and then how they can use some of these wearables to track their sleep. Yeah. So circadian is like a circle where you at 12 noon, you want every cell in your body to know it's 12 noon and we're ready to rock and we should be wide awake and ready to go. And then at 12 midnight, you want all your cells to know, okay, shut down, rest and digest, shrink down some of these cells in the brain, let the brain cleanup begin, repair my organs, repair the damage, get rid of all the cellular junk that's built up. Um, but most of your cells, can't tell what time it is. Um, only some of your cells are exposed to the light. So if somebody has a problem with sleeping, the first thing I'd say is when you wake up in the morning, go outside and get bright sunlight in your eyes, full spectrum. Don't put in your contacts because they're going to block the UV. Don't put on your glasses. Get some light for five minutes in your eyes. That'll tell your brain, oh, wow, the sun is up. It's sunrise. And then if you can get outside for five minutes and walk during the day to get that really bright sun. Plus, you're only going to make vitamin D when the sun is relatively high in the sky. So um, because the ozone layer filters out the wavelengths that you need as the sun is lower. 
So you're going to make a little vitamin D. You're also going to make some nitric oxide in your skin. And we know we love nitric oxide. You know, that, that rocks. Um, how do we screw ourselves up? Well, six years ago, seven years ago, most people didn't realize this. But at night, when you look at that phone, that phone can pump out blue photons around 440 nanometers. And you hold it right in front of your face. And those blue photons go in and they hit, they hit the eye and they tell your body it is noontime. And yet it might be 1030. And if your body thinks it's noontime, it's going to say, turn off melatonin production. Don't do that. Along with probably 50 other things that we aren't even yet fully aware of. We know that it suppresses the melatonin production and release. Um, so put your phone in night shift mode, go to settings, whether you have an Apple, Apple phone or an Android phone and put it into night shift mode. I set mine sunrise to sunset. So when the sun goes down, it changes the screen color. That helps a little bit, but guess what? Every light bulb in your house doesn't run on night shift. I also on my Macs on, on the multiple displays, I put those with a, you know, in a night shift mode too. So they change color as soon as the sun goes down, they become kind of reddish, reddish orange or whatever. Um, I would be looking at some blue blocking glasses, either the $10 ones on Amazon that don't look very cute, but they're, you know, those orange lenses, they work great. So if you're going to watch TV, if you're going to walk around the house, we also have dimmers on every light in this house. And at night we bring the light way down. We picked 2,700 Kelvin bulbs for all our LEDs because they were a redder bulb. They're not the bright white 5,500 Kelvin um, because I don't want to get blasted with those blue wavelengths all the time. And it also doesn't make sense for me to go live because I have, you know, right now I have three lights in my face and that's just not going to be a good thing for my sleep. So you won't see me doing live videos too often after dinner because when the sun goes down, I'm done and I'm not going to blast my eyes with that light. Circadian rhythm is the most important, least appreciated factor in health. So I'm not saying it's the most important thing in health, but it's probably in the top three. And yet almost no one pays attention to it. And it's, and the other thing I'd say is if you're going to work out, don't work out at eight 30 at night and try to go to bed at 10 30. Cause that workout is going to tell your body that it's midday, that we're out there, we're hunting, we're chasing wild animals. Um, so I would try to do my workouts, get those done before dinner um, or do them in the morning. Um, you, you obviously need your bedroom to be cool. You want blackout blinds if you can. You know, we have blackout blinds and I put something over my eyes just to, you know, get the light all the way down. Um, I wear my aura ring every day and I track my sleep. I've, I've had it for a year and a half and it's been a game changer for me. I always knew sleep was important but I never could improve it. And when I got the aura ring, I'm like, oh my God, that second drink crushes my sleep. Oh, if I go to bed, if, if I go to bed at 1030, my, I get three and a half hours of deep sleep. If I go to bed at midnight, 
I get one hour of deep sleep. So bringing it motivated me because I like to win. I want to you. It's kind of you gamify it. And I'm like, oh, man, I want to get that 92 tomorrow. All right. I'm going to I'm going to bag that episode and I'm going to go get some sleep because when I wake up tomorrow and I drop that ring on the on the charger, I want to see a good number. So um, and I'm sure you're that way, too. I mean, I know I know we're both kind of, uh, you know, a, a type personalities. Let me shut up because that was a long sentence. That was amazing, though. I love everything you said. And to further amplify ways to improve your sleep. Number one, set a consistent bedtime. If one night you're going to sleep at 10, next night you're going to sleep at midnight, then you're going out, you're going to sleep at 2, 3 a.m. Your body doesn't know when it's time to rest. So if you create a bedtime routine, a consistent bedtime that you're going to sleep and you're going to sleep within 30, 45 minutes of that time, your body will naturally know when it starts to get ready to go to bed. So having a consistent bedtime for me, it's 10 30, 11 o'clock. And I'm trying to get to sleep within 30 minutes of that bedtime every single day. And then I get up like within five minutes of the same time every single day. Cause my body's on a, it's on a cycle. Like I've set my circadian rhythm. And one thing I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to increase my amount of sleep from six hours a night to six and a half, seven, it's going to be baby steps. But how I'm doing that is I'm bumping up my bedtime 20, 30 minutes a day, not an hour. Cause that's going to be too you're, drastic. You're, just a you're little bumping bit it back a little bit. You said bumping it up, but you mean a little earlier, a little bit right? earlier. So I'm yeah, going yeah, from yeah. 11 to 1030. And then my goal is within the next two weeks to be at from 1030 to like 10 o'clock really. So I can get that extra sleep because an hour and a half of deep sleep isn't enough for me. I want to get two hours plus of yeah, deep sleep. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually, since I've learned when I started out, I was getting, you know, maybe 90 minutes of deep sleep. I've, I've had times when I've gotten three and a half hours of deep sleep. Wow. Um, and it's just, you know, and I, and it's funny when I get up, I'm like, man, I can just crush it today. And I pop in the ring and like uh, yesterday, my readiness was 92 and my sleep score was like 92. And I was just like, you know, I could run through, I mean, I could do anything. Okay. All right. You're beating me by a lot. My readiness is 83. This is my first night using the aura ring. My sleep was 77. I need, I need to work on these numbers, but by wearing these wearables, you see these numbers every single day and you can figure out, well, I know last night, one thing that affected me is I had some sugar before I went to sleep. So that's definitely going to throw off my sleep a little bit. I had some ice cream. Yes. And then having a little bit of beer, I know I shouldn't be having beer, but I was trying to just have a cold brew with my husband really quick, even though I went to bed at 9.52 PM. So I made my bedtime. It's the decisions that I made before going to sleep, having the alcohol, having the gluten, which I'm gluten intolerant. So that was a bad decision. Having the sugar, that was a bad decision. All these things affected my sleep and my ring showed me that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I learned that if I had a, a second drink, it crushed my deep sleep. So even if I was asleep for eight hours, my sleep quality sucked. And the other thing people don't realize is, let's say you're going to sleep seven hours. That first three and a half hours is where you get all your deep sleep, meaning you get deep sleep early. And then later you, you want to, you get your REM sleep late. So one of my other tricks is I have a, we have an Uller on our bed. And so when I get in bed at night, it's, it's 105 degrees. And then 10 minutes later, it drops it to 55. So, and as I chill myself that way, my wife does not turn hers down to 55, but it works great. And it drives me into this really deep sleep. And then at like four in the morning, I bring it up to 
like uh, 75 degrees and then a little bit warmer later in the morning because you actually get better REM sleep, the dream sleep, um, when you're a little bit warmer. So I use that Uller and I, you know, again, I have nothing to do with the company, but I love it and it's been great for me. And in fact, I'm like, man, I wish I could take this when I'm traveling because this is awesome. And I know I've heard stories of people that actually pack their system and when they're going to go do a multi-city tour, that's part of their, you know, that's in one of those, you know, boxes and they set it up in their hotel room because they're so hooked on that on that deep sleep. So this is amazing. I have never heard of this before. So Ooh, I cannot o- wait o- to go look into o- this. O L E R. So it's like cooler only without the first O O, I think. Yeah. So uh, got it. Cooler. I'm going to look into this. So 105 degrees is what it's at. When you get into bed, you drop it to 55 degrees, 10 minutes in. And then there's a setting where you could take it up to 75 degrees or so around 4am. Is that correct? Uh, I mean, that's what I'm doing. So yeah, here's my, um, so yeah, um, yeah, I drop it down to 55 at 4 a.m. I bring it up to 75 at 6.15. I bring it up to 80. And it also has a, a warm wake function. So um, if I sleep through everything, like on the weekend, because I needed more sleep, at 8.17, it ramps it up to 115 and it wakes me up. So there have been a few times when I just pushed it during the week and you know, I don't set an alarm on Saturday and I just wake up when I wake up. So if I wake up at seven, I'm good to go. If I wake up at 7.30 or eight, because my body knows how much it needs. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, so. That is way too cool. So to improve sleep, number one, make sure you're getting out into the bright sun first thing in the morning. Like I woke up yesterday at 4 a.m. because the baby was crying and screaming. I don't want to go out sure. in the sun yet because that's not when I want to wake no, up. No, no. But at 6 a.m., which is my wake-up time, I'm going to go outside and expose my eyes with no glasses, with no contact lenses to the sun. So it's a signal, good morning, sun. I'm awake. Good morning, body. Let's set that circadian rhythm. Then you want to be walking outside for five minutes with as much exposed skin as you can so you could allow the sun to actually help you create vitamin D so you can improve your vitamin D production. And don't wear sunscreen. I, and I, I know a lot of people are like, but I have to wear sunscreen. That's going to block the rays in your vitamin D production. Unfortunately, yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Dr. John? Yeah. So, I mean, I have sunscreen patents. I led all the sunscreen development at Procter and Gamble back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. So I know a lot about sunscreens and I believe in them, but yeah. Um, an SPF 15 product will be an SPF of hundred against vitamin D because you need those wavelengths that around, it's around 315 nanometers. It's a UVB photon. Sunscreens wipe that out. And you put on sunscreen, you're gonna make, um, a friend of mine, uh, the late Dr. Robert Sayre, who was at Shearing Plow, published an article called Darkness at Noon. And he showed how sunscreens totally shut down vitamin D. So when we go to the beach with the kids, I always let them run around for 10 minutes with no sunscreen, full spectrum. Then I bring them over and we cover them all up. Now here's, um, in chemistry, you can have reactions that run thermally or photochemically. You can't tell me that the only only photochemistry that the body does is to make vitamin D. No, that's the one that we've characterized. 
I would guess that there are 20 different molecules, maybe 100, that we make when we're exposed to ultraviolet light because the body uses those photons to do chemistry. So now we know vitamin D and we know um, uh, that it, it also releases nitric oxide. Don't get, you know, in 100 years, they're going to say, oh, plus there's these other 16 molecules. It impacts your mood. When you go to the beach or you're outside and you get a lot of sun, man, you feel good. You feel relaxed. There's a lot going on there beyond vitamin D. And uh, so I, I like to see people make some vitamin D in their skin, but not with their face. Put a hat on. I got a really cool Outback hat when I was in Australia in uh in 96 at a conference I was speaking at. And, you know, like that's, that's like my uh, trademark when I'm on the backpacking trip. So like, you know, like I didn't wear it to the banquet one year and they're like, Joe, where's the hat? I go, oh, I forgot it's at home. (laughs) They're like, we don't recognize you without the, without the Outback hat on. Um, So don't make vitamin D with your face because, because ultraviolet will damage the collagen and elastin fibers in your skin. And if you need any more motivation on vitamin K2, um, when you calcify elastin fibers in the skin, the elastics no longer snap back. So there are, there's a genetic, uh, a SNP, people that can't make that um, calcium protection protein and all their skin gets calcified and when they can look like they're 80 when they're 30. So wrinkles, calcification of the skin is a big effect on wrinkles and almost no one knows that. So when you don't calcify your elastin fibers, they can snap back. And I'm pretty happy. I feel like my skin looks pretty good for, you you know, in, in what? six weeks, I'll be, I'll be 62. And part of that is because I have turned on my body's ability to handle calcium. I, I only want calcium in my teeth and in my bones. I don't want it in my skin. I don't want it in my arteries. I don't want it in inner, inappropriate areas in my back because it's going to make me old before my time. So I um, love that. Again, so vitamin uh, K2 will help with that to make sure it's directing the calcium to the right places, the bone it building. Keep, yeah, it, exactly. And yeah, it keeps it out. Of, it prevents inappropriate calcification, meaning calci- calcium in your arteries and in your skin. And on the other side, it turns on something called osteocalcin, which is one of these proteins that's involved in bone remodeling. And if you don't activate osteocalcin, you're going to end up with weak and porous bones. So um, if, if they watch that YouTube video, the last study is from the um, International Journal of Osteoporosis or something. It was done on Japanese women. And the women that got a little bit of K2, they had higher bone mineral density. They had higher um, bone mineral content and they lost less height than the women that didn't get it. And it was a fraction of a milligram. So it's like, you're sitting there saying, and yet all you hear about are the bisphosphonate, you know, the, uh, the prescription um, drugs to try to block the breakdown of bone. Well, 
your body is constantly remodeling bone. I'm not in love with the thought of shutting down the remodeling process. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to get us off on tangents. Sorry. You got, you got me on all kinds of things that I'm <laughs> passionate about. I'm like, yeah, I love it. Well, I was going back to my notes just to make sure I had it there for the audience. We talked a lot about K2. You want to make sure you get K2. You need less than a milligram and yes. correct me if I was wrong. You said, take that twice a week. Is that correct? I think you probably need it twice a week. Yeah. I don't think you need to take it every single day. There's not a problem in Japan they use vitamin K2 as a prescription drug. They give people a thousand times the dose and they show that it helps prevent osteoporosis in older women. So it's actually a prescription drug at 45 milligrams. But if you take 45 micrograms, a thousand times less, that's enough to keep the calcium out of your arteries. And you know, that's enough to at least prevent you from going off the cliff. So, and, and be clear, I am not suggesting that people take 45 milligrams of K2. That is a prescription drug, but taking a thousand times less or 500 times less is, has a beautiful tox profile because even taking 45 milligrams, which is 45,000 micrograms, they had no safety issues. That's so it's a very safe molecule. That's amazing. And I know we're approaching the end of the this session, but I want to go ahead and recap the incredible amount of value and education that you've brought into the audience here at Failing Forward. This podcast is all about teaching you guys how to fail forward in all aspects of your life. In this first season, we've been really focused on our health. And Dr. John, you've been so kind to come back and join us for two sessions. And we appreciate you. First session, we talked a lot about gut health. This session, we're talking a lot about increasing our vitality, reaching optimal optimal health and wellness, supplementation, um, improving our sleep and anti-aging. And what a beautiful discussion. And as we're talking about anti-aging, I know a lot of people are promoting these IV drips. Let us come yeah. to your, they have mobile IV drips. They have IV drips at country clubs that we are members at, and they're, they're trying to promote vitamin B and glutathione and NAD. Can we talk a little bit about NAD, Nerf one, Nerf two, before we end this episode? Sure. Sure. Um, Delivering vitamins or nutrients or supplements directly to the blood, you're going to get more in. Um, two things really, it really makes a huge difference on two things, maybe additional ones, but definitely on these two, it's been proven. Glutathione. Um, if you take a glutathione pill, most of the glutathione gets chopped up in the stomach and it, it only has a limited effect on you. But if you take reduced glutathione, which is the active one, and do an IV, um, you can dramatically bring up your blood glutathione level. So that's one where there's a clear scientific rationale and justification for delivering it intravenously. And um, I've seen it work in people. Um, and, I, and Dr. David Perlmutter, back 20 plus years ago, um, he's, uh, I believe, a neurologist down in, um, in Florida now. Uh, but he actually was one of the early people to show that you could treat people with Parkinson's and really change their symptoms in a matter of, you know, minutes by giving them the intravenous glutathione. Glutathione is 
the fire extinguisher in the cell. It's this master cellular antioxidant. So that's one. The second one is vitamin C. If you take one gram, two grams, four grams of vitamin C, you can only get your blood levels to a certain point because the body controls it. But if you do a vitamin C IV, and they do this, I believe it's Kansas State University, uses it as a cancer treatment. By delivering it intravenously and giving people like 25 grams of vitamin C intravenously, it actually goes from being an antioxidant to being a pro-oxidant, and it produces hydrogen peroxide in your blood. Normal cells immediately break down the hydrogen peroxide because they have something called catalase. Cancer cells are catalase deficient. Hydrogen peroxide builds up and it becomes a chemotherapy to kill cancer cells. So for certain cancers, intravenous vitamin C or intravenous ascorbate can be a beneficial cancer treatment. That is real. If you take it orally, you're not going to get up into that therapeutic range, but if you deliver it by IV. My belief, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes, is that most of the B vitamins, other than maybe B12, are absorbed pretty well. So I don't think you need to take those by IV, although if somebody's low on B vitamins and you give them an IV, they're going to be like, wow, B12 has a special pathway by which it's absorbed in the gut. And I don't know if you remember if you remember Bob Hope, the fame, the comedian, um, but Bob Hope used to always joke about how he was running out of gas and then he'd go in and they give him a vitamin B12 shot in the butt. And then he was like, okay, I'm good to go for a couple of weeks. Well, because vitamin B12, a lot of people don't absorb it well. So you either have to put it under your tongue. So it crosses over into those blood vessels under your tongue, or you have to have it as an IV or as an injection. Um, now, the, uh, some of the, uh, the NAD, um, some people swear by that. I haven't really looked into that. No question you're going to get higher blood concentrations that way. I don't know if it's necessary or not. I don't want to comment on it. Um, uh, I do take a supplement. Uh, I take the nicotinamide riboside, uh, you know, the NR, to, bring, you know, to keep my you know, my NAD levels higher. I don't know what it's doing for me. I feel better. I like it, but I'm also watching the work from Dr. David Sinclair at Harvard and lots of other scientists around the world um, to see how it all plays out. Um, you know, I take a lot, I mean, one thing I wanted to say is that we hopped around to a lot of different topics. And I'm sure people are like, oh my God, John, there's so much making me crazy. What I normally do is I pick one thing like nitric oxide or cellular senescence or autophagy. And I spend, and and for the people that are in my tribe, the people that are part of my membership, I say, here's why I care. Here are some of the most recent studies. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. Then I say, now you understand why you might want to do this. Then I say, here's what I do and here's how I measure it. And so I, because I want to teach people one thing each month 
And at the end of 12 months, I can totally transform somebody. But if I teach them 12 things in one month, their heads are going to explode. My head would explode. Not only that, that there's only so much that our brain can digest. So we just throw out 12 things at you today. And how many of the 12 things do you really remember without looking at the show notes and without me having to recap it for you, right? So I can't encourage you guys enough to connect with Dr. John, whether you're following him on the streets of clubhouse, as he jumps into these rooms and has these conversations, open Q and a, or you're checking out bionic vitality, his membership, his tribe, where he's educating people on a topic a month and a 12 month program. So you really get the education necessary to biohack your own life and to learn about the little tiny changes that you can make here, the little two degree corrections, course corrections in your life so that you can be living a better, healthier, more vital life. Cause we're all trying to achieve optimal health and wellness, but that looks very differently for me than it does for Dr. John. than it does for those of you that are listening to us today, because we all have different microbiomes. We all have different lifestyles. We all live in different areas. I have yes. way more sunlight here in Scottsdale, Arizona than Dr. John has in the upper Northeast. So I couldn't encourage well, enough I'm actually, you guys I'm in, Char- I'm in Charleston. So we have lots of sun too. Oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you were in Boston. Uh, it's, it's probably the, it's probably the accent. I was having a wicked good time. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But I know a lot of the listeners right now that are tuning in, they do live in Seattle. They do live in Columbus, Ohio. Sure. They do live in areas that um, have a vitamin D deficiency and they don't have a lot of sunlight. Yeah. So yeah. reach out to Dr. John, follow him, follow his research, check out the show notes. I'm going to drop as many links as I can from this episode for you guys so that you can get more research, more value, more data. Um, and then share this episode with anyone that you know is going to benefit. Maybe you know someone that has high blood pressure. Maybe you know someone that's dealing with autoimmune issues such as PCOS. Maybe you're dealing with someone um, that needs some help in supplementation, or they need help breaking their sugar addiction and the corn addiction. And just telling someone don't eat corn, don't eat sugar. Isn't always going to be the motivator for them to make a decision. You need to show them the research, the why behind the, what, this is what these things are causing in your body. This is what they're doing to you, your skin, your digestion, your sleep, your mood. And when someone gets that education, then they look at sugar differently and they they're able to make a different decision based on the why behind the what, not the don't eat it because it's bad for you. Yes. No, I, I, I try to take people. It's like if you went into the back alley of a restaurant and you, and this is a classic Three Stooges episode, and you saw them chasing cats in the alley, you're like, I don't know if I want to eat in this restaurant anymore. <laughs> Meaning once you look underneath the covers and see what's really going on, I don't have to convince people. Once they see it, they're like, oh my God, I don't want that. Right. Or I really do want this. Or you just described exactly what happened to me when I went, when I, when I went from 40 to 50. I went from being able to do this and now I can only do that. And I want, I want it back. I, don't, I, want, I want to feel like I did 10 years ago. And that's, I mean, that's what I want. I want to feel like I did 30 years ago. And uh, um, I, if people want to, you know, I mentioned my program, Bionic Vitality. If they just go to johnsoddery.com, um, you can see some information on that. And if you're, if you watch PBS, I'm on a PBS special called Life 201 that's been airing all around the country for the last, you know, eight or 10 months. Um, 
but I, I'm, I love this stuff. I don't want to sell you supplements. I want to be on your team. I want to help you understand because I don't need to convince you. Once I show you the data, you're going to convince yourself. And you're like, wow. You know, when someone hands me some fried food, I'm like, I know that that is really delicious, but I don't care how delicious you make that poison. I know what it does to me. I'm not eating it. Meaning, so I do eat ice, I'll eat ice cream. I'll eat things that are not health foods, but there are certain things I just won't eat because I know it's just going to tear up my body. And some of those molecules are going to hang around for years in my body and continue to cause problems. But uh, I love, I love your passion and I love your energy. And I also, I respect the fact that some people don't want to educate themselves. And yet you're like, I start talking about something. I know, I know you're like, you're right on it. You're like, oh yeah, I know where he's going with this one. So it's very cool. It was a lot of fun today. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your value. And I mean, there's so much more that we can talk about, but we need to keep it. We need to keep it right here Absolutely. because yeah. I know I'm going to have to re-listen to this episode three, four five times to fully digest the information. So I can make my notes, the changes that I want to make in my life, the course corrections that I want to make. Number one, starting with the nitric oxide, I'm going on Amazon right now, finding that link, posting it on the show notes for everyone. And I'm ordering those strips because I want to figure <laughs> out, do I have the right bugs in my mouth to convert that nitric oxide and get what I need um, in my body because I'm in my mid thirties and I'm not getting any younger, but I want to feel like this forever. And my husband is almost a decade older than me. So I know that these are things that I can help him with because I want him to be around forever. I mean, he's my best friend, but uh, yeah, I'm just really, really excited about all this information, Dr. John, and really appreciate you. Um, I almost want to like invite you back for a third one, but I'm not going to, but, but there's all this other stuff. I'm like, I was like, let's talk about neurotransmitters. Let's talk about nerf one, nerf two, but, but it's just maybe for another day, let's save it for the next. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think we gave people, I think their (laughs) brains are completely filled to the top right now. So yeah, we, and there's so many things we can talk about and I, you know, you could tell, I love this stuff, but you know, to me, it's all about so many people tell you about stuff. I just want to do it. I just want to show people, Hey, listen, cause you know, when I, I can remember three in the morning, I was on the hike leadership team. So we had to go up and pre hike the four day hike. We had to do it in like 26 hours. And so we had to get up at two in the morning and drive to the mountain and hit the trailhead at six at sunup and hike off into the darkness with headlamps on or whatever. And, um, one of the guys was in his, you know, like mid forties or whatever. And he was like, Hey, this is easy for you young guys. And I was like, young guys, I go, I pulled out my driver's license and he was just like, (laughs) WTF. Like what? Like he he was like 20 years older than him, but you're, you're functioning 20 years younger than him. Well, here's the worst part is I was leading us out. And I said to everybody, I go, okay. Cause it was basically straight up at the beginning. And I said, how fast do you want to go? And the guy who was the most experienced trail boss goes as fast as you can go. And I said, okay. And I was, I was pushing it and I was pushing it and I was pushing it. And, um, one of my buddies 
later in the day said, you blanking killed me <laughs> in those first four hours. Like I couldn't, it's like, I kept looking up and you were way, and it was like, you effing killed me. He was just like, like, and he was completely blown away. But now, you know, they become part of my tribe because it's like, okay, John, whatever you're doing, I want in on this. I, I gotta, I gotta know what you're doing because I want this. So it was kind I of fun. I love it. So, I love it. You yeah. lead by example. I love that so much. Dr. John, thank you so, so much for all the value. Thank you so, so much for your time. For those of you that are listening, check him out. JohnSaudery.com. Google Bionic Vitality, check out his program, find him on the streets of Clubhouse. You'll see him, the man with the tan and the six pack, eight pack abs um, at 61 <laughs> years young, about to turn 62. If you're looking to start tracking your sleep, check out the Aura Ring, check out the Whoop Band. The Whoop, if you know someone that has a Whoop, they can actually give you a referral uh, link where you can get the Whoop for free. So the strap is free and your first month is free. If you don't know someone that's already using the Whoop, just send me a DM at Niku Loesch on Instagram or at Nikuella, or you can email me nikuloesch at gmail.com. And I'm happy to give you that link so that you can get the strap for free in your first month for free to check it out and see if you like tracking your sleep that way. But that is what we have for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the Failing Forward podcast. And Dr. John, I'm going to pass it back to you for some last minute remarks. One last thing I, I wanted to say, and that is that um, I'm a scientist. I'm not a medical doctor. And nothing that we talked about is medical advice and it cannot be used as medical advice. I want to make you aware of breakthroughs, things that can be a game changer for you. Your job is to look into it and research it. And secondly, to have a conversation with your medical provider, your doctor, and make sure it's right for you and your situation. Okay. So, I want to make sure you understand it and are aware of it, but you have to have that conversation before you start to take action. So I just want to make sure we said that and we, we might need to move this up to the front just For to sure. make sure well, people this is always the very know that of our show notes. It's disclaimer. We are, you are a scientist. I am a certified health coach. We are not MDs. We are not doctors. We are not giving out medical advice. We are just bringing the research to you and giving you the information of what we're doing in our lives and why we're doing it. And then allowing you guys to make a decision with the support and the blessings of your doctors. Absolutely. Great. So, so much fun talking with you again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to this as well to find out, you know, what, you know, what the heck did I say? And what are we talking about? But it's, <laughs> it's just like, boom, 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 boom. it's like, we're playing tennis and we're just hitting the ball back and forth so fast. It's, yes. you know, it's great. It, it was amazing. And we, we could have gone extra innings, but it was like, you know what, I'm <laughs> out of the ballpark and end this game. We'll come back for round two. It's a five game series, right? Let's go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. you, Dr. John, have a great rest of your day. Those of you that are tuning in, thank you for listening to the failing forward podcast. Check out the show notes for some links that we're going to drop. John, Dr. John's website will be there. Um, his book that is going to be coming out on Amazon. Once that drops, we'll add that as well. And a lot of other links for you. If you're looking to get the whoop, you can message me privately about that. Enjoy your day. There will be more episodes coming up. Um, <clears throat> maybe an episode three with Dr. John. We love you, but have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining the podcast. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a good one. Take care you guys and good luck with everything. Awesome.